Boy, people sure do love to travel, don't they? Whether it's by foot, car, train, or plane, people are always moving from one place to the next. Sometimes going somewhere new is an incredible experience full of new sights and sounds. Other times, one can find themselves in a strange and distant land where nothing feels quite right. Such is the story for American rock band The Birds, who found themselves on a flight in August of 1965 to the far-out and bizarre land of London, England. Struck by the hostile nature of the UK music press and English musicians in general, along with the fact that everyone is driving on the wrong side of the road, members Gene Clark and Roger McGuinn and David Crosby penned a piece about their unsettling time in the UK. Or did they? Clark claims the song and lyrics were entirely his idea, with McGuinn suggesting the song be made to sound like a John Coltrane piece, and with Crosby contributing maybe one line. After Clark's passing, McGuinn came forward and claimed to have conceived the initial idea for the song's lyrics, and that both he and Crosby contributed lyrics. What is certain is that Crosby's taste in music had a profound effect on this single, and on the birth of psychedelic rock. On their American tour in 1965, Crosby brought with him an album by Ravi Shankar and an album by John Coltrane, both of which were played on heavy rotation in their tour bus. These two albums heavily influenced the sounds of the single they created, and this song is often cited as being the first psychedelic rock song. Despite reaching number 14 on the Billboard Hot 100, the band was disappointed with the song's success, believing it could have been in the top 10 if not for two key factors. One was the fact that Universal Music Group refused to use the band's original recording, as it was recorded in an RCA studio, UMG's number one nemesis. The Birds re-recorded the song in a UMG studio and released that version, but they felt the RCA version was much better. The second factor was that the single was subject to a U.S. radio ban shortly after its release, as it was believed that the song was referencing drug use and not a plane ride. The band denied any relation to drugs in the lyrics until the early 1980s, when Crosby confessed. Of course it was a drug song. We were stoned when we wrote it. It was about a lot of things. It was about the airplane trip to England. It was about drugs. It was about all that. A piece of poetry of that nature is not limited to having it be just about airplanes or having it to have it just be about drugs. It was inclusive because during those days, the new experimenting with all the drugs was a very vogue thing to do, said Crosby. Perhaps the drug connotation would have been obvious to aviation enthusiasts who would know that commercial flights do not fly at the altitude suggested by the song's title. That's right, we're talking Eight Miles High by the Birds on Cover Me. Eight miles high And when you touch down You'll find that it's stranger than no that's right, it's Cover Me, the only podcast that compares famous songs to their many cover versions to find out which one is stranger than known. I'm your host, as always, The Snake, joined by my small-faced co-host... Alex Wildenberg! <laughs> <laughs> Alex Mildenberg, how you doing? Still tiny, apparently. Just your face. <laughs> Just my face. Ooh. I guess it's affected your vocal cords as well. Uh, you could have done like a... A Rod Stewart impression, too, would have been acceptable. Oh, man. Small faces. That was just the faces. I mean, it's just the same the band. Uh, same. I don't know at what point they changed their name, but it was sometime so after Rod faces. Stewart joined. Okay, well, yeah, like, so in 1965, <clears throat> or when they wrote this song, they would have been the small faces. Something like Ichiku Park or something. I don't know, man. Ichiku Park. Come on, Alex. Small Alex, faces. with a regular amount of face, how you doing? <laughs> oh. Most of my face is back. Yeah. How am I doing? Yeah. Good. Back home. Yeah. I'm back home. I'm settling in. Back in the USSR. Back in the USSR. More um, songs from the 60s. Itchku Park. Back yeah. in the USSR. This song, Eight Miles High. 
Alex, you're a Birds fan? Those are the three. Those are the three uh, songs from the 60s. My, like, like, just Birds and Trees. They're cool. Yeah, Alex. Yeah. Um, the Band? The yes. Birds? Yeah, no, I the band. know fuck all about the band, the Birds. <laughs> Every time I hear a Birds song, I'm like, shit, I thought this was a Tom Petty hit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, or like... I mean, I know, like, they have a version of Mr. Tambourine Man. That's right. That was apparently pretty big. Um, which is, like, cool, I guess. I almost uh, did that. I love that Bob, Bob Dylan. Dylan song. Bob Dylan song? Pretty cool. Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, play a song for me. Something exactly. like that. Um, um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, no. Hugely influential, but... Important. Uh, Obviously, David Crosby, who we're kind of talking about, yeah. uh, passed away recently. Um, this was the closest I could get to like a song that he wrote that had covers that were interesting. Because yeah. every other one, he's got like, uh, there's a really good one off the, the first Crosby, Stills, and Nash album. Some, named after a woman. Uh, and I can't remember it now. <laughs> it, was a, it was a couple weeks back I put this together. So it's called, um, like, Guinevere. That's right. Uh which great song, but all the covers sound exactly like it. And he wrote a song near and dear to my heart. And of course, I only just discovered. I'm not a big Crosby, Stills and Nash guy, but I'd listen to some of their stuff in anticipation mm-hmm. of this episode. And he's got a song called about cutting his hair, uh, which okay. which he he almost cut my hair, almost cut my hair. Yeah, which is like a song because it's it's about you know long hair being an act of rebellion, but also. You know, trying to fit in with the world and wondering if you should cut your hair to to get by. And good God, <laughs> it's pretty close to home for me. Yeah, no, I hear that. Like, I don't know the song, but like as a piece of ident- identity and like how much does yeah. it matter to who you are? Exactly. Also, pretty kick-ass song. I listened to it, but <clears throat> all the covers sound very similar. And those of you who are familiar with David Crosby, who of course passed away recently, had long hair to his death, even though he was had a big old tasty bald patch right in the center there. Yeah. I think he wore a hat in later days. He did, yeah. He's a big toot guy. He almost looked like a like the zigzag man. Or like an older <laughs> older version of a of a guy yeah, I went quite to a mustache. College with. Yeah, hell of a mustache on this guy. Also just a huge asshole. Yeah, I was amazed to learn like there's a lot of stories. It, the members of Crosby Stills Nash and Young have you mm-hmm. know, a lot of drama around them. And yeah, I even always this assumed song, right? it was mostly Neil Young being kind of a dick. <laughs> But no, it was not just Neil Young. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, everyone like had their hand in it. Brought together for all being fucking dickheads in yeah. some way. Uh, where he really found, like, a, a new use for that talent of being a dickhead, though, was on Twitter. <laughs> where people love him, and he just he just spouts just the bluntest anything. This guy, I'm looking at a picture now. I was going to try and, like, collect quotes and use them for each like cover and be like, here's what David Crosby says about it, but I fucked up. But there's a picture of somebody with a shittily rolled joint and they ask him to rate it. He says, you win. And there's a special ch- prize for the single worst joint of the entire decade. And you got it. <laughs> Congratulations. Somebody like made him a painting and he's like, "Ugh, I'm not going to lie. This shit's weird. And I don't like to look at it. <laughs> 
good stuff. And here's a review of Ted Nugent. He says, that is really fun, funny stuff. He's not good enough and he never will be a hack player and no singer at all. Could not write a decent song if his life depended on it. I, I've never known a Ted Nugent song that was very good. So. No, he also, he, I, I got to find his one about, he dogs on the doors pretty hard too. He's like, Ugh, <laughs> no <doors>. talent. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, 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 let's see. It might be this one here, but he, oh, no, it might be this one here. Base. Oh, damn it. My fucking computer just, I, I clicked on too many things at once. It basically sucked. Guitar and drums, pretty okay. Keyboard was awful. His bass with left hand was abysmal. Horrible square wheel bad. And Morrison was no effing good as a singer or poet. Poser. Sorry. <laughs> many years later. Slamming the doors. <laughs> Just slamming the fucking doors. <laughs> and it's so funny when you consider, like, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, which is, like, such, like, folk rock. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, this is really chilled out music. Yeah, it's so different. <clears throat> yeah. It's so strange. Like, because even Van Morrison's apparently a huge cunt, too. See his, you know, his COVID yeah. denial and all that. But, yeah. like, the softest music you can think of. Yeah, it's weird how how that comes out, or like how they choose to express that in music, because it seems like wrong. It seems like they don't quite uh, counterintuitive. That's the word I'm looking. Yeah, for. it just like it's incongruous. Like they don't match up. But I don't know. I guess it's just it wasn't necessarily what it was at the time, especially with this song in particular, which is mm -hmm. a bit more of this like psychedelic sound. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so you familiar with Ravi Shankar at all? Uh, yeah, he's come up before. Yeah, he's pretty influential. Yeah, um, as a musician, uh, his name gets, he gets name dropped in, I think, at least one Beatles song. Um, yeah. And his, am I remembering this right, that he's related to, hang on a sec, I'm double checking this. Yeah, he's like Nora Jones- Father? Good for Ravi Shankar yes. out there making kids. I'm probably saying it wrong. It's probably Shankar. I don't know, man. I don't know. Um. Yeah. So, but yeah, like, he pretty, his, his family's he was, still in the music industry. Still in the music industry. He's a sitar player and kind of brought that sitar over via the Birds and uh, the Beatles to to Western music, and of course, uh, Hurdy Gurdy Man. Yeah, and it's yeah. There, all the musicians are friends, or particularly with Hurdy Gurdy Man, where it's like mm -hmm. it's Ravi Shankar, but like via George Harrison kind of thing. Yeah, um, and then this song, of course, which is uh, inspired by that, although it doesn't have a sitar. No, in it. it doesn't. Though um, their promotional yeah. shot does feature one of them holding a sitar, which <laughs> like cool, I guess. Yeah, they were around at the time. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, and then also inspired by John Coltrane, which you kind of get. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk lots about that. Uh, but I wanted to, like, one of the things that gets said about it is, it is called one of, if not the first, psychedelic rock song. Yeah. Um, which is interesting, but I also feel like it's not like this happened out of nowhere, and then everyone's like, let's do that now. Right. You know, like... Like, it predates Pet Sounds, it predates Sgt. Pepper, but it does not predate Rubber Soul. So Rubber Soul has sitar on it. That's a Beatles okay, album, yeah. um, if anyone is not familiar. Um, and, like, 
there was a quote from I think Paul McCartney who said like this song came out and he's like yeah that's kind of like what we're trying to do and like they were you know in the studio at the time so like they mm-hmm. still like the sound was being created it kind of it's almost like a like a calculus thing where like it's being worked on by two people simultaneously like right. that was the logical next step it's just someone had to get there first for sure it's parallel thinking and there is also another subgenre here Raga rock, R A G A, not to be confused with reggae rock, <laughs> right. but that is specifically or the genre raga. Yeah, which that is specifically music with a pronounced Indian influence, so sitars and instruments of that nature in it. So then we have to ask the question: What is the line between raga rock and psychedelic rock? And the answer, I don't uh, know. I hadn't heard. I don't the word, fucking know. The term raga rock previously. Uh, but it, this song was also called that, and David Crosby complained about that too. He was like, yeah. "Hey, you can't, you can't put a label on us, man." Something to that extent. I, I, they kept I trying to label us every time we turned around. They came up <laughs> with a new one. It's a bunch of bullshit. Is the quote? Nineteen ninety-eight. I mean, probably he's probably right. Yeah. But like, what else are we to do? That's what we do exactly. on this show. And we talked about we Black know. Sabbath being the first heavy metal band, too. And it's like, well, yeah, kind right. of. That's, and that's with all of these, like, artistic achievements. It's like, sure-ish. This is the first one that, that hit popular airwaves and stuck, maybe, is more the way to look at it. Yeah. It's hard to, can't look at it in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And it did stick. Hit the hit the Billboard top ten. Uh, they complain about that radio ban, but some historian points out he's like, actually, it's not like effectively a ban. It's suggested that radio stations do not play it, but they still kind of do. They still could, and many of them did. He also notes that the ban occurred, I think, seven weeks after the song was released. So he's like, that's plenty of time for it to hit, you know, number one or in the top ten. He's so, right. so this music historian is like, it's kind of maybe didn't, like, hinder them as much as they might think. Yeah, I mean, it still did pretty good, though. And uh, it's definitely, it's one of the, like, there aren't, like, explicit drug references in this song. Yeah, it's very mild. It's the title, right? They're talking about being high, but a lot of it isn't, yeah. But even that is actually more of a reference to airplane flight than it is to to concepts of smoking so much grass, man. Man. Uh, commercial airlines typically only fly six to seven miles high, but apparently the group just decided that eight miles high sounded better. Some, I mean, it's like a, it's like a catch-22 situation. Not an actual catch-22, but like, mm-hmm. you know, pick catch-22 because it sounded better than the other numbers. And like, right, I played around. Yeah, it's, exactly. So like, that, it just rolled off the tongue in a way, and they said, yeah, that's it. That's the one. And yeah, but you're right. It's this sort of like, it's like soft drug implications. Cause like eight miles high, that sounds like pretty high to be higher than commercial planes from smoking <laughs> weed. That's crazy, bro. That's, that's so high, man. That's uh, so high. And it's, it's funny because I was listening to not the radio, but like just we shuffled music on like the Alexa the other day. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very, ca- you can very casually, um, just reference drug use in music nowadays and it's oh, fine yeah. and it, it's just funny to think how much has changed exactly how, like, yeah before they be... were like you said the word high in your title like we have to ban it we have to stop yeah. this." and now it's like oh no we just talk about doing some 
doing some cocaine. Yeah, you can you, you can just straight up say like I did cocaine in the bathroom. Yeah, it was good. I like cocaine. <laughs> yeah, and like that's fine. <laughs> and they're so. like, well, we'll put a parental advisory sticker on it, but <laughs> beyond that, there's not much we can do here. Yeah. So, I don't know. Funny stuff. Yeah, the, the hysteria of the past is always <laughs> something funny to see. Uh, I do wonder what they'll look back on in our time and and laugh about like that. But Alex, one more question. Did you like this song? You listened to it this week? I was new to this song this week. Yeah, song, I was new I to this song. Um, it's uh, it's got it's as much as it's called psychedelic rock. I wouldn't say it sounds like a lot of other psychedelic rock. It does mm. enough that you can recognize it as that. But like, there's definitely some things in it, and I think that's the the jazz influence. I think right. Um, where it's it's quite its own thing. Yeah, compared to other that. psychedelic rock songs, for sure. But I think it also does lay a lot of a lot of groundwork for psychedelic rock to build off of. Yeah. Uh, like lyrics about drugs. Here we go. Here's the lyrics: Eight miles high, and when you touch down, you'll find that it's stranger than known. Yeah, I mean, so the the first level, of course, is just the, the it's a plane flight. They went to London. Yeah. Or England, whatever. Uh, generally. London, England. Um, did they just London. go to London? I don't know. Anyway. Uh, that's where they landed, bro. <laughs> All right. So they went to London, and, like, it was weird. Like, that's, <laughs> it was different <laughs> really from, a- like... It what was weirder than they expected, even. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Stranger than known. Yeah. Yeah, that's or level one, yeah. Then, of course, the other side, I guess, drugs. After using drugs, maybe the normal world seems stranger or different because you're well, exactly your perception yeah. kind of thing. You've altered your perception when you come back to reality, when you touch down after being eight miles fucking high, man. Yeah. It's, you realize that reality is, is stranger than you had previously imagined because you've yeah. seen new things. You've broadened your horizons, changed your perspective. Mm-hmm. Signs in the street that say where you're going are somewhere just being their own. Yeah, just being their own. I don't... That's a strange line, but... It's not super important. It's yet. like these signs. I find it's like from a, like, and it's maybe both a psychedelic and travel perspective. It's like this shit's all here without you. Like life <laughs> exists regardless of whether you're. Yeah, this sign says where you're going, but it's not there specifically for you. It says that all the time on that sign, whether you're looking at it, whether you're in America, London, or anywhere else in the world. That sign is just being its own. Just an acknowledgement of like that things exist beyond your own world. Yes, and that they exist. Irrelevant of you. They they honestly like this sign is not impacted by your existence. Unless you hit the sign. Yeah, well you can you can take steps, but you're using it to navigate the the strange and crazy streets of the London yeah. UK. Yeah, of course. Yeah, in the in the travel sense like yeah, we went there. And the signs were different, like, oh, unusual. Uh, But they tell you where you're going, uh, and they're just there, and they do that. Yeah, they do that for everyone. And then, yeah, that's almost, like, they're almost one-to-one on the psychedelic and travel side. It's like, just things, it's like the within you, without you, Beatles (laughs) stuff. It's this, where life goes on without you, 
life is currently going on without you is maybe the the step here. It's like you can't experience it all. There's always going to be signs just being there. Yeah. The other thing I thought about, and it doesn't quite check out, I think, with the mm-hmm. just somewhere just being their own. But like the idea that they're talking about signs that are directing you is yeah. kind of the idea of of f- following orders in life. Mm. And just like reading the sign and being like, we'll go that way, like kind of thing, like not right. questioning that order. Um, but also that the system kind of exists independent of that and like it just exists and you follow it, but no one knows why we're following the orders anymore. Right. They just have been there for so long. Right. Somebody put the sign up, but so much time has gone since that guy put a sign up that like his intention is gone. Yeah. And so it's no longer the machinations of man, but simply of the system, that, yeah. that nebulous thing that exists from man, but is it, is it controlled by man? Does exactly. it control us, man? Yeah. Following the rules without necessarily, either without knowing why or without there being a reason for that to still be a rule. Yeah. Um, I think just by nature of this being a psychedelic song, you can you can fully see you can that get a lot out of yeah. text. You can yeah, you yeah. can say that that is. In, I think that's a good take. Um, yeah, yeah think, it's it's I think a bit of an extra an extra step. Yeah, I think the, yeah signs. And I think the last two lines here are straight up for wide interpretation. Yeah. I like what David Crosby said about like it's like it is about a plane ride. It is about drugs. You can't limit poetry, man. I'm like I, I resonate with that. I'm like yeah, yeah. I think these why lines would you want support to? that. Yeah. And that's what we're here to do, but not really. Yeah, we're almost a little more prescriptive. We're bad. We're we're evil. <laughs> no, nah, but I think, yeah, you know, it's fun to do. Uh, nowhere is there warmth to be found among those afraid of losing their ground. We're talking about the cowardly British. <clears throat> yeah. Um supposedly it directly references the fact that there was another band from the UK called The Birds with an I. Yeah, rather than the Y. That were suing them because of the band name. Yes. Um, so those were those afraid of losing their ground. Mm-hmm. Supposedly. That's the story. And there is such space between lines here that we can, I think, also just take nowhere is there warmth to be found on its own as being like, the UK is often known for being rainy and cold. Yeah, it even mentioned, like, the next line's Rain Grey Town. Yes. So we get another reference to the weather. And yeah, it is notoriously cloudy and rainy in London. Mm-hmm. So they find both the land and the people around it are uh, cold. Yeah, unwelcoming. Them. Unwelcoming. Perhaps. And then that's, of course, their their little travel experience. And then psychedelically, maybe he's talking again about these systems, man. Lack of change, bro. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it basically the same thing in terms of, like, feeling like you don't have a place where you belong. Or, oh. or there aren't people who accept you. Um, it doesn't matter where you are. You can feel that, right? Like, you can feel yeah. it because you're in a new place. You can feel it because there are people who don't agree with how you experience life, things like that. Yeah. So they're, they're being transported both physically and psychedelically to a place <clears throat> where they are, they're not among like-minded people. Yeah. Despite, and of course, in terms of, I guess, travel and psychedelics, hoping to find that, um, they reference... One that this place is known for its sound in the coming lines here. I'll just read them out. Ray Great Rain yeah. Great Town, known for its sound in places small faces unbound. I thought it was abound. 
We'll talk about that. But he yeah. references the small faces here, who are, of course, a, a band that I think they like. So they're talking about like these things that they know about the place they went to. And they're like, well, damn, we were hoping to just like hang out with some musicians and, and jam, but that is not the vibe here. So yeah, yeah, a lack of companionship or compatriotship in this in this new place. Yeah, it's a physically very and mentally isolated feeling created by this song. It's kind of sad that they're like traveling and trying to. I mean, the song kind of implies trying to create, you know, new connections in this strange place, and mm-hmm. it's just like closed off to them. Yeah, and they're just having none of it. Yeah, and I think that is like small faces. Is I don't know if that's like a also wink at like small minds or if it's just like distance like all of these people are so far away that they are small faces like there's yeah. physical and emotional distance yeah or like i'm thinking of like a person with a hood pulled up around their face and it's kind of covering part of it yeah like, i think definitely there. with the next lines you kind of get that idea too mm-hmm. it's sort of this yeah this facelessness almost in these faces yeah small faces cuz you're only seeing so much of it yeah yeah that could also be be seen obscured in, this. in some way. Obscured, yeah. Um, yeah, and they're 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 they've run amok. These small faces, they're unbound. They're everywhere. That's how <laughs> I I kind of read that. <laughs> yeah, there's just like you're surrounded by people, but there's no connections. Hmm. Um, and then we come to the final verse. Round the squares, huddled in storms. Some laughing, some just shapeless forms. Uh, round the squares, I think, is great just on its own. Oh, yeah? Because it's like round and squares. Those are two different shapes, man. They are squares aren't round. Um, the other thing. Now, it's kind of the other way around. I'm wondering if it references this. The idea of squaring the circle. Yes. Which is like an impossible thing to do. Yeah, there is, seems to be something of that in here. This, this impossibility. Around the squares. But then, of course, he's also just talking about people being around. So yeah, uh, and like in like squares, like town square. Yeah, in thing, town right? squares. Like a block or, or, mm-hmm. or a, an open area, whatever. And they're huddled, but like they're, you're not, right? Like they're in their groups and yeah, you're and alone. He's very much on the outside. Um, there's an Andrew Bird song, I believe, called Shoulder Mountains, <laughs> which is kind of about people being huddled and, and excluding you. Oh, I do their like sh- I do like that being like mountains. I do that like name, that name. Oh, where the shoulders are like these impassable things. These things, yeah, that you have to scale to get to someone. But that's uh, that's what this makes me think of a bit. Yeah, it's also the name of a real mountain, Shoulder Mountain. So hey, that's that's, that's a bit psychedelic, there, isn't it? Wait, do you know where it is? Um, I could tell you, Alex, but there's I, probably like a thousand charged. of them. Yeah, probably like more than one place. But if you look up Shoulder Mountain, the first one you're going to get is Antarctica. Oh, that's a good. That's a good place for a mountain. Good place. That's for difficult a to climb. Oh yeah. Shoulder so, Mountain. Shoulder oh, this Mountain. This is a person pole dancing. Okay. Mm, that's good. Is that what they do on Shoulder Mountain? <laughs> it's a move uh in pole dancing i guess you could do it on shoulder mountain but you might stick to the pole on account of it's cold right don't lick the pole (laughs) 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 but yeah some laughing some just shapeless forms so there's people and i i I think this to be callous laughter the sort of laughter that you're not in on right yeah huddled against you it's you get the sense of a big sense of exclusion when other people are laughing 
and you're not because yeah. you have no idea what's going on and they have like an entire life going on uh independent of, of you and you're yeah not so it seems to be there's the people laughing who are like an active form of uh of disassociation or estrangement from this this group and then the others are just shapeless forms who kind of make up the the other right you don't get anything from them there's nothing yeah you the laughing and kind of feel some humanity from them, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're laughing, and you can relate to that, even if you don't know why they're laughing. But then everyone else is just kind of there, and they're these... I mean, we've already created this image of these blobs huddled together in their private conversations and their worlds. Yeah. And you just don't get any of that. It's just completely closed off to you. Yeah, exactly. You are you are on the outside looking in. Yeah. Um, but whether that be sidewalk scenes and black limousines, some living, some standing alone. That one, it feels more like um, they're really talking about like that they're playing clubs and stuff, you know? Uh, and I guess I'm back on the more travel side of things. Yeah. But like, I mean, they, they do a good job of painting this, this picture of this fairly like desolate place. Um, and For like sure. gray... And rainy. It is definitely like anti-London tourism. <laughs> yeah. Don't fucking go there, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's just, I mean, throughout a lot of it, like, it really has this, this feeling of isolation and not being able to communicate um, in this environment. And you can take that from so many angles. You can take it from, I'm in a new place and the people are different and not necessarily accepting of me. Uh, you can take it from the angle of, I have now experienced maybe psychedelic drugs that have changed my perspective in some way. And now I find it more difficult to relate to other people in that way. And they look at me funny cause now I'm a drug user, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Or what have you. So, like, there's a lot of angles you can <laughs> approach this from. Yeah, and even looking at sidewalk scenes in black limousines, yeah, it could be referring to their experience as musicians, where it doesn't matter if it's a very casual performance or doing a sidewalk scene, or if it's something that they're being driven to. Like, they're, um, they're not connecting with these people. It could also be sidewalk people, low class, black limousines, high class. They're not connecting with people of any class. Right. Either way, you you get in that juxtaposition, and they're still on the outside. Yeah, there's this profound isolation that is that cannot like class cannot help you through it, and just all of these things. You were you were completely on the outside from your experiences, and then yeah, some living, some standing alone. I struggled with that line. I struggle with this one too. It. Is it about the fact that like standing alone again? We're talking about isolation a lot. This whole song. Yeah. Is it the experience that standing alone is death in some way? Living is to be amongst these people. To be alone is is to not be that. Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're now talking about or now drawing this this uh, comparison between living and standing alone, right? Where yeah. those have now become opposites, um, or which perhaps is just yeah, like you said, living is being in a group. Standing alone is not being in a group. But now we're talking about. Like, no one, they can't break in with anyone, and that includes people who are themselves isolated. Like they That can't could even be it as well. Tea, they can't even now relate with other people who are also isolated, even though you think perhaps that would be a, a thing they could um, relate over. <laughs> yeah, you have the commonality of being isolated. Surely that can bridge the gap, right? Yeah, and but not even saying, that. No. Even those people are not willing to deal with them. Yeah. 
Or is it that some of this isolation is active, living, happening currently, and some standing alone are, are traumatic incidences of it that stay in their memory? That seems a bit of a stretch. But I had to I voice know. it. Yeah, or like, are they saying we stay isolated even if it seems like we are part of a group kind of thing? Right. This this isolation cannot be overcome even in the company of others. Yeah, like because it's not like they didn't talk to anybody while they were there. Mm-hmm. They were in a situation like that. It didn't didn't change. Didn't change. No. Yeah. But that's what you get in this song, uh, written by some number of members of the Birds. <laughs> Yeah, the the one line that I saw attributed to David Crosby was Rain Gray Town known for its sound. Right. Um which honestly is probably the weakest line of the song. <laughs> like it's the one I didn't get much out of. Yeah, personally. it's very much like this is London. There are musicians here. So, yeah. Okay. Right on. Like is there anything else that's like significant about the sound? Maybe the rainfall, but like I don't know, that even itself doesn't seem to add much. But I guess, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess known for its sound, yeah, the rainfall, known for the rainfall, but it's also known for like what at the time would have been like the British invasion music, rock and roll. That's right, yeah. And if I was, you know, Roger McGuinn or Gene Clark, and I was like trying to upplay my success and downplay theirs, I'd be like, yeah, Crosby did the, the Rain Gray Town line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did all the rest of it, you know. He did yeah. that one. It's a very weird thing, because even like McGuinn doesn't come out and claim this as kind of his own song until Gene Clark passes, which a lot of people have raised me like, well, what? Yeah, that's wait? kind of a dick move, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, and like it's, really it speaks to it. maybe it being an undefensible claim. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know, man. It's so tough to know. And like, I question how they would even pretend to be able to remember because I don't know that everyone was so stoned. I feel yeah, like. and, and yeah, like thirty to forty years probably passed before yeah. he was making this claim. It's like, well, how well do you remember those yeah, days? Like, really? I don't know. It's even it's getting really, the personnel in an official studio can be difficult, right? So <laughs> yeah, like no, a, a really, really popular and famous person was there, and it's like, mm, or maybe not. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like we don't, we don't know or we remember. Know. Yeah, so I don't know, man. It just seems. But I can also like get want to take movie. some credit for the song because it's pretty fucking good writing on it's it. A, I think. Yeah, it's a solid song. So, a solid song. We talked about all the ways you can take it, and uh, we or or a number of them. I'm a sure there's a million sh- more. Yeah, there's a lot to to dig into there and play around with and navel gaze at. But uh, pretty pretty much like yeah, isolation in a new land or perspective seems to be the the driving themes. Yeah, I even, there's like a section on the Wikipedia page that breaks down like each line, Mm. but I'm not interested in going over that. I'm I'm not a fucking Wikipedia guy. Also, this song's so popular, it's referenced in American Pie. Yeah, there you go. Eight miles high and falling fast. Oh, that's actually what that's about. I guess, what else would it be? Like, what else does eight miles high mean? Yeah, there's no, like... Like, we, there's no actual thing that goes eight miles high. Yeah. W- with any regularity. I'm sure some planes have flown at that height, but... Yeah. No, for a second, I was like, what the fuck does this have to do with the movie, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah when, he, uh, when he's uh, fucking the pie. <laughs> yeah, they play eight miles high. And they say eight miles pie. Eight miles pie. <laughs> 
And then you put your dick in the pie, I guess. And you put your dick in the pie. I haven't actually um, seen that movie. Let's talk about... Did you listen to both the RCA version and the original version, Alex? Or I the, did. Like, the UMG version? They're pretty similar. Pretty similar. I will agree to that. Um, but there was one quote, I forget who said it, about how the original, the RCA one, flows better. Yes. And I tend to agree with that. And I it's mostly to, to do with, with the well. solos. I think the solos are better in the... I also think performed the, better in the RCA. The one. instrumental tone is a lot better in the RCA version. Yeah, like just listening to the bass off the start. Yeah, the like the UMG one seems more geared towards sixties pop of the time. Right. The guitar is a little like brighter and kinda like like yeah, and he's played a 12-string Rickenbacker, so, like, it's gonna be bright no matter what. <laughs> yeah, but it's got this very, like, distinct, that's not there on the, the RCA version. It, like, it sticks out a bit more, kind of juts out, the bass mm-hmm. is less bassy, um, and, yeah, it comes off a little more, like, built to put into that, that pigeonhole of 60s pop, rather than to be this, this foray into psychedelic rock. Yeah, I would tend to like. I, I can see why why the original, like what I'll say. Yeah, I guess the original uh, RCA version would be preferred mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, it's not necessarily by that much. Like it's still solid either way. Yeah, but like absolutely. yeah, it's it's got the edge. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, in terms of general structure and things that happen in the song, they're basically identical. Yeah, the other one's a bit longer. I think just because, or the the second version is like fifteen seconds longer. I think just build a bit of extra time, like in the solos and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a huge difference. Like they added a bunch or anything. Yeah. But what you get is a little bass introduction to to bring. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. That's cool. Um, and then you get some like like rhythm. Like I mean, that's rhythm, obviously. Cause bass but you get your rhythm guitar and your drums now the guitar that is david crosby the rhythm guitar mm-hmm. um it's been described as chunky yeah i saw it described as chunky that's all i wanted to say i guess it's got a bit of a fat noise to it i can see why you would call it that I'm trying to remember why though um yeah, it's just kind of like broad in terms of its sound it's less like like compare it to the lead guitar. Yeah, they're like, like that's yeah. a rhythm guitar. Yeah, that's a rhythm guitar. Yeah, we we are trying to hit that As lower to end. Like, I'm strumming my guitar. Da-na-na-na. It's not like that. And that makes it stand out in contrast to the lead guitar, which is of course trying to imitate a sitar. Yes. Um, and yeah, it is quite a bright sound. Like I said, twelve string Rickenbacker. Mm. Which is Rick quite a... I mean, it's like jangle pop, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of fun how they do the guitar, too. Because it starts with the, that, like, riff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of just goes into this, like, really freeform style. Which I think that's the jazz influence. I don't know much about John Coltrane. I, I will would admit. That. I think we've looked at doing covers that he's done but they're usually like 12 minutes long <laughs> yeah. so that'll that'll do you know i think the, i think the connection's clear <laughs> yeah so it gets a little more like freeform and there's like like fast playing and stuff like that it is interesting because there is that free form but they also anchor both solos in this with like a riff they do 
that is the same in both. So it's very interesting that they managed to freeform while also having like this solid through line. Yeah, and it doesn't go out there for very long either. They rein no. it back in and then get back into the song pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's like very like proto Velvet Underground in some ways. <laughs> I guess it is. Yeah. Uh, so although still something you don't hear a lot. Um, hmm Particularly in a lot of other psychedelic rock, or at least I haven't, which maybe my psychedelic rock exposure is a little limited to, like, the Beatles. You don't hear this in the Beatles tracks, do you? You don't hear the Beatles do it. Oh, we're working on something similar, actually, but it's quite different. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We call it... I don't know if that would have been Revolver or Sgt. Pepper at the time, but... Um, yeah. My Beatles release dates are not... Not... Post rubber soul, I know that. Um, where are we? We're not even we, we, on. We, we're not the verse far yet. in. <laughs> we got to talk. Yeah, we got to talk about these vocals, which I think are also like Ravi Shankar inspired. Oh, okay. Sort of vocal drone. This. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, and kind of got like a harmony going on. Yes. Or is it overdubbed? I, I, f- I believe it, the vocals are harmonized is what I've written here. I, I mean, the band is known for harmonizing, right? Harmonizing, yeah. So it's the birds. So you're going to get all of them harmonizing on this. Yeah. Um, fun thing about this is I think you can easily mash this up with Dust in the Wind. Yeah. With eight Dust in the Wind? Miles high. Only for a moment and the, the moment's, moment's gone. gone. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Just like build up and then come back down with it. Yeah. In Kansas. <laughs> So if, if any anybody's looking for the hottest mashup to hit the airwaves in 2023, this yeah. might be it. Mash them up. I mean, it's going to be the first time that like not a first time in a while that it it won't be uh, an Elton John song. Yeah, it won't be an Elton John mashup. <laughs> so uh, you know, that's Elton fun. Elton's going to get his hands on that. I w- yeah, I wonder. I wonder what he's going to do this year, fellas. I think we can fit. Where's the shoe raw in here? <laughs> Where is the shoe raw? <laughs> Where's the shoe raw, man? Um, but there is that like build up, build down tone on the vocals because it's eight miles high, and when you land, so you go up and then you go back down, but like the instruments are just kind of getting more and more wild as we progress. They chill out like a little bit during while they're singing. Yeah. Um, you kind of get the guitar. I mean, just because the guitar was doing like some wacky shit. Right. Like, I guess it is chilled ago. from the intro. Yeah. Um, but they still, you know, obviously it's in build. Like the guitar now is like doing kind of an arpeggio sound, still like quite a bright sound on the guitar yeah. obviously um and like some sustain on that note or on those notes um yeah, and those I, drums are going buck yeah i didn't mention the drums too much in the intro but they're very like thundering to me like i've quite yes. i believe tom heavy at that point tom heavy um, lots of rolls in there it's a yeah and then when you move into the verse it moves a bit more to the snare yeah um but yeah i mean it's still an old recording so it can be hard to Pick some of this stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, but but even in that, like typically on these old recordings, you want the drum to come through. Yeah, you're hitting yes. like snare, you're, you're tight and bright noises, right? That mm-hmm. the, the mic is going to pick up. They're doing a lot more in the lower range here. Yeah, it's rumbly, it's thundery. Yeah. It, it feels like a storm, right? And we're talking about rain a lot. Yes. 
So that's a cool thing. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I thought the end sounds like to me they're about to jump into a, a chorus, mm-hmm. I, which I guess is how you know it. The verse is over, but there's no there's no chorus. They just do like a little drum fill and like there's some organ, but that's pretty. It's like a few seconds of that before they go into another verse. Yeah, I guess we didn't really talk about how there is no chorus on this. Yeah, it's really just those three verses, three verses, or it's stanzas or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I wonder if that's that was like a a choice, or if they just were too stoned to remember to do a chorus. Or <laughs> I mean, I guess it's just a different song structure. Right? It's just a different song structure. Yeah, like I, I do wonder what made that the choice, but I think it works. Yeah, but the other thing I think is if you're looking in, I mean, this is what sixty five uh, five released in um, sixty six. Yeah, pop songwriting was less established. Right. So there's more room to kind of fuck around and yeah. do things. So it wasn't like they were doing this and then they went back, or maybe it was, but I wouldn't expect it to be as strongly like, oh no, you got to have a hook kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like a producer says, what are you doing? This is wrong. This is not how a pop song works. Just because right. there wasn't as much pop music before them for them to pull on. Yeah, from. for them to really have this book of rules as it were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like you said, those drums do kind of fucking, at least to the modern ear, tell you there's a chorus coming and then you get the rug pulled out and it's like just another verse, dog. Yeah. Psych. And We're in terms of the song's theme bit. of being kind of like off kilter, off balance, that kind of plays. <clears throat> but is that intentional? Just kind of just like, because we're, we're on a trip mm-hmm. and like, you can't get off. Like you gotta take the whole trip before you get home. That's right. There's no relaxing into a chorus. Yeah, there's no break. Yeah. Can't relax and do a chorus here. Um, yeah, second verse, similar to the first. Yep. Um, a little bit of like intensity build, but the the key thing here is the end of that verse we get into the guitar solo. Yes, the guitar solo. Dun, 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 dun. That that classic riff and a lot of Yeah, which of course where it kind of does a lot of that really fast playing, grounds it with the riff, and then mm-hmm. kind of a little more, and then the drums are also, like, it's more like the intro. Yeah, the drums you know, are really back thundering to the at this point, too, yeah. And then that style of playing, I mean, we talked about it sounding stormy. Like, if you want to talk mm. about, like, creating, like, a windstorm with the guitars playing, um, this is one way to do it. You know, yeah, absolutely. That feeling of just being like tossed around. Yeah, it's quite, uh, it's quite, fun. yeah, it's stormy. It's a stormy little solo, and it, the vocals come back in for the third verse, and the guitar is still doing some, some real high note stuff. Yeah, there. it's kind of playing a trill at first, and then it goes back into the arpeggios playing before. Yeah. But it's kind of, um, let's see, what does it sound like? It's that. Yeah, playing quite high. Is it even a trill? Um, couldn't tell or you, is Alex. It just fast strumming. Anyway, I think it's a trill. Kind of playing Sounds like, pretty trill to me. Um, what's interesting about this to me also um, mm-hmm. is the style of playing. Like nowadays, if we have a fast guitar solo, there's kind of a sound to it. And that was established in the 70s and the 80s. And right. And it involves, I don't know, it's what we would call shredding, right? Yes. 
Yes. And it has a different sound to this. Mm-hmm. A different way of playing. So it's interesting to go back before that was established and say, like, they're playing quite quickly, but it sounds different from what we expect from rock and roll guitar solo. Right. Just because that hadn't been set in stone yet. Right, yeah. Again, another example of, like, pop music yeah. before pop music. Mm-hmm. So that's another one of the ways that it is a cool thing. Mm-hmm. And then we get your third verse, we come back into the solo. Yep, another one. Same, another same, but one. different, yeah. It does that, but even more, like, unrecognizable. It almost doesn't even do that full riff before it's, it's off. It's like John Coltrane control. on guitar. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then right at the end, mm-hmm. or really close to the end, in the last, like, 10 15 seconds it kind of gets starts jumps down low and it's strumming fast but you sort of get the a drone going on almost where it goes dig, 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 <laughs> and then it sort of flows in to the next like that so that's another part where it sounds kind of drone like yeah so like 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 we kind of said there's some very like key elements here that make it a, a distinct piece of pop music for its time mm-hmm and things that will be picked up, changed, worked with later. But yeah, it's pretty solid as is. Yeah, in various ways. Um, and honestly, fairly tight too. Because there's some like, well, I guess I'll say self-indulgent um, psychedelic rock songs out there. They go, are kind of extended. Mm-hmm. And this is like, we got three sections. They're fairly similar. Or, or, you know, we got three verses. We've got our solo. We're going to go crazy with it, but not let it go on for too long. And then they do that, and it's kind of over. Like, it's still like 320. Yeah, to probably 330, a big on the instrumental version. intro and two yeah. guitar solos. You're right. Like, it is very tight. And it, yeah, it doesn't overstay its welcome at all. So. Yeah, I was impressed with this song overall. Yeah, it's a very You can see why piece. it's considered influential and why people like it and why For it's been sure. covered so much. So much. And let me tell you, so many of those covers, like I kind of said about other songs I looked at by Crosby, Stills, and Nash, are like just carbon copy. But yeah. this one had a lot of further out covers. And so that's why that's why we're talking about this one, really. That was the deciding factor, <laughs> but I think we landed on a good one. And I yeah, think we land on a great one to start off with. Uh, Roxy Music in 1980. Yeah, this is a number of years later. Uh, yes. What number is that? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, 15. I'm not going to say it. Um, 14, I guess. But yes, Roxy Music. Roxy Music. 14 years later. Alex, it's pretty basic. No, math. Can't, no it's too <laughs> difficult. It's too hard. Can't do that. All right. Math. All right. Still uh, on vacation. I get it. Alex, you probably know more about Roxy Music than I do. A little bit. A little bit. Um, I know they've actually been around for a, a while. Like, this is about 10 years into Roxy Music existing, like eight to 10 years. Hot damn. Um, this is after Brian Eno left. He wasn't actually in the band that long. Um, mm-hmm. It's like their first one or two albums. Um, and this is the other guy, Brian Ferry. Yes. The other Brian. Um, kind of leading there. The early music is kind of the Brian's back and forth. And there's mm. sort of two halves of the band. And you see the two faces on the albums with the different songs. 
and there's different approaches, whereas right. this is more focused. Um, though I'll admit I don't know the this album that well. No, Flesh um, and Blood. Yeah. Um, the other... Is that because your interest in Roxy declines after Brian Eno leaves? Is that I don't know. I, I own Avalon on CD. I just don't. That's like a later one even. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. I just don't. I'm not that into it. Fair enough. There's like two things I know. And that's one Brian Eno, who, of course, David Bowie connection. And also yeah. around the time David Bowie released pinups or just shortly before it, Brian Ferry released his own album of covers. And he was, like, upset that David Bowie was also doing that. <laughs> Did the same thing? Yeah. Well, maybe I'll check out Brian Ferry's. Although I doubt it would surpass anything Bowie did in my yeah, mind, just because I'm, his I'm a little biased. I don't know if you <laughs> pin downs. Yeah, pin down. Hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's the Brian Ferry train here. Roxy music. What do we get here, Alex? We get the '80s. We do get the '80s. This one uh, made me think of like Talking Heads a bit. Um, yeah, for sure. And. And like new wave, even though, like I said, the band had kind of been around for longer. It really feels like they're they're playing in that space, and maybe they kind of influenced that space in the first place. Sure, um, but I, I I don't know that much about <laughs> Roxy music. Um, and this is um, a few years before what this like. This reminds me of some of the like more rhythmic, dancey stuff from Talking Heads, which is even For later sure. than 1980. So this is the space they moved into after this. But... Yeah. Um, There's a heavy emphasis on that guitar I, I and bass at the start there. That bass going... Dum, dum, boom, 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 dum, dum, yeah. Dum. And that guitar kind of... Yeah, it's really got that rhythmic emphasis. It sounds a bit dancey. It sounds yeah. like you'd they see add this like sixteenth note drum part, so yeah. like it's really moving along. And then yeah. even the way the vocals are done, it's not exactly the same as that, but it's definitely like a new wavy sound because he's got this like real vibrato sound going on. Yes, um, especially like when he holds notes, that harkens back to again new wave type sound. Yeah, um, but they got a pretty decent but they they have elements that I would expect from this style of music. Um, you get the sort of like funky muted guitar sound and like mm-hmm. pretty decent like um, rhythm going on, like a real like groove. Um, that I mean, when we talked about Talking Heads, they were talking about how they were creating loops essentially and then just like playing them on their instruments. Yeah, this um, definitely has that sound to it. Yeah, it has that kind of dancey sound to it. And, of course, you get that classic riff at the start done by guitar first and then guitar and saxophone, I believe. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird sound because I didn't think it was a saxophone, but then watching, like, the music video, he's on a saxophone. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a saxophone, apparently. It just didn't sound like it to me. Oh, yeah, it's just quite a... You don't get that... It's, like, processed in some way. Yeah, so it sounds very synthy. There's a lot of, like, synthiness to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, in those. They... What else? What else do they have? I mean, what else? What they else? have solos, right? The so this yes. At this point, it's 1980. The solo sounds more like modern, fast guitar playing, like shredding. Yes. Um, so it's more conventional in that way. Um... But they definitely, yeah, like build a lot through that 
section and then it's like kind of a solo but really it's a lot of other stuff coming in like even this is like the end actually i've realized i've jumped all the way to the jumped all the way to the end like the guitar fades out and at some point like other things are fading in like there's more percussion and synth and like more voices and stuff but i've skipped everything in the middle yeah let's start with that verse which is a lot like uh it's a lot more like toned down you get a little bass you get a lot of synth in there and i say a lot it's a little synth it's a little with, with that little guitar skin that bing, bing. it's very mellow compared to the original which kind of builds more more like scariness in it a little more eeriness. yeah it doesn't have that isolated feeling and that storminess mm-hmm. to it 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 feels like a like a dance like we're dancing and I mean, watching the music video, that's clearly the intention, because that's what the band's doing. They are dancing, yeah. I'm, I'm watching the music video right now. Yeah. Which, I mean, it, yeah, as a music video, it's really just them performing the song. Yeah, that's why I didn't watch it earlier. It's not, it's not that significant. Like, uh, shit. Other than it was a good indicator of, like, what their intention was. Right. I mean, yeah, with that fucking bass group, it's hard to do anything else. Yeah, but and like it's a solid groove. It's just like a bit weird with this song, but like I, I think it's it's like a decent kind of new wavy cover. Yeah, and with new wave, you can kind of be dancey and be isolated. True, especially when they start to like sing weird. I don't know. Yeah, how that works, but it seems to. <laughs> it seems to work. Yeah, there's something about a, a, a little weird guy singing that'll do it. Yeah. So it kind of, I mean, they mostly drop, like, the kind of etherealness and the out-there-ness of the original. Um, it feels more standard. Maybe mm-hmm. a bit ahead of its time, but it's really hard for me to say that. Like, if it is, it's not by much. Yeah. Um, it's, it's right on the cusp yeah. there. Yeah. But it, I, I don't know where Roxy Music was in 1980. Yeah, I exactly. couldn't tell you. Um, they're reusing that riff. Makes perfect sense. Drop most of the jazz stuff. Yeah. It's more feels more rock and roll. Yeah, and supplement um, it with like a dance groove instead of yeah, jazz. More established. Um so yeah, that's the intro. That's the solo yeah. after the second verse. Um and then it does get a little more into like ethereal space because there's lots more echo and like noise in the outro particularly. Yeah. But that's kind of the only time they go into that space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you even hear more like traditional, like almost shredding on that guitar solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more of like the established style. Yeah. And that's kind of overall true about it. Yeah. Ambient synth, the sort of equi vocals. Yeah, it's definitely like new wave 80s, but I think done pretty solidly. Yeah, it's not, it's not, um, it's still, yeah, it's enjoyable. And especially like you said, it's a solid bass groove. So like mm-hmm. if, you, if you did want to dance with it. You definitely could. Yeah. That's all I got to say about this one, Alex. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do you know how to pronounce this next one? Yeah, Husker Du. Is that it? Is that easy? That's um, <laughs> how I've always heard it said. Okay. They got umlauts and shit. Yeah, as I understand, they just added those for fun, because the actual right, thing they took Minnesota. their name from, which is some like board game, didn't have those. They were like, we just threw the diacritics on for because we thought it looked like a metal band name that way. <laughs> okay. Well, Husker Du, 1984. Uh, 
American punk rock band formed in St. Paul, Minnesota. They started as hardcore punk and shifted later into alt rock. Yeah, I've uh, yeah, I hear them uh, mentioned every once in a while in relation to like punk and hardcore and alternative rock. Um, there's a quote from Chris Novoselic mm-hmm. from from Nirvana who said basically like, "Oh, Nirvana is nothing new. Like Husker Du did it already. Husker so, Du it. Husker did it." Um, so they're considered pretty influential. I've definitely in, seen the name in, like, before. Alt rock. Um, I, I don't can... know much about them, although I think I did give... They have one album that's, like, their big one, uh, Zen Arcade. I think I gave that a listen at one point, but I should probably revisit it. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, this is very much, like... I wouldn't consider this hardcore punk, just given... Not really. ...what other hardcore punk I've heard, but I can see <clears throat> that it is, like, rougher alt-rock. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of noise, um... Like they, the distortion makes everything really bleed together. Mm-hmm. Um, the the vocals are like pretty intense and like screamy. Yeah, and like blurry. I will say, like it's hard to make out what he's actually saying. This him, uh, yeah. yeah. It, uh, you mentioning Chris Novoselic and Nirvana really slots the pieces together for me. Yeah, it is like proto grunge. He sounds like he could teach Kurt Cobain how to sing. Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely moving in that direction. It's also an earlier one of their, like, I think this is fairly early in their career, which was not necessarily that long. That long, right. Um, in this band, but they, I think, are generally considered to have got a little tighter after this. Okay, I would believe that as well. Yeah, this one's from 84. It looks like their first album is from 83. So. Yeah. So this is fairly early on in their, in, yeah, in their thing. In their career, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it's, like re- it's really said, intense. Though, yeah, like, really I'm listening intense. to the intro. It, I don't think it's bass anymore, but if it is, it's really distorted. Oh, yeah, that's just a distorted <laughs> guitar for sure. Yeah, the bass intro has moved to the guitar. Lots of that. Uh, yeah. It's very sped up, too. Very sped up. Lots of very kick drum messy. in that intro, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, like, so much distortion on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, a lot of that bleed, which gives it that punk feel, where it's like everything's kind of meshing together. We don't. It's that lo-fi feel. It's we don't got a recording studio. Yeah, it's really do. lo-fi in that way. I guess it's maybe. I mean, we were just at the Museum of Pop Culture, and they were kept t- saying um, uh, DIY. Yeah, uh, in terms of like grunge and, and and rock and roll around the time. So this definitely influenced that for sure. Um, yeah, those vocals, I like them, but yeah, like you said, it is that, it is that you can't really understand what he's saying. You just kind of understand the vibe of it, him screaming. Yeah. Yeah. And then especially like right at the end, I think he's just like, I think it's nonsense for the last like first, I'm pretty sure the last 30 seconds or so is just random screaming. I'm pretty sure. Um, but it's hard yeah, to say. Yeah, I think you're correct there. Yeah. Um... One other, but thing. also I think that stuff is good. So yeah, I mean it does work kind of with their sound, right? Yeah, like I'm definitely influenced by like you look them up and it's like everyone loves this band, like right? You know, tons of bands are super into like, this well, music. I must I'm like, love okay, this band. I, I want to be cool too. But like, it seems to work to me. Um, the one other thing I also wanted to point out that I like is um, the way they do that 
guitar, particularly in the intro, because they kind of approach a similar fast playing style to what you get from the original, but it's kind of a little bit more of their own thing. And you can hear them, like, they, they want to play fast, right? Especially earlier on. Yeah. So you get, um, you can hear them do that. They're playing fast in a similar way to how they did in the original. So you get, like, the kind of main riff, but, like, you're still playing notes in between and strumming extra notes and stuff. Yeah. And then they're also doing some faster playing other than that, so. Yeah, it's, it's so it does follow, like, sound. the basic, like, punk rock cover structure where it's, like, we're yeah. playing faster. Of, like, let's do it fast, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do like the overall sound on it. I think it's, I think it's pretty solid overall. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but it's, like, it's messy. Or it sounds messy. It sounds and maybe messy, that's sure. like the trick is is um like you make it sound messy, but it's really hard to do actually. Right. Yeah. Um, it's uh yeah. I heard the phrase like learned carefreeness or something to that effect, where it's like studying very well to make it look like there's no effort. Learned effortlessness probably is what it's right. called. Right. Yeah. It's actually very difficult to make it look like you're not trying. You're not trying. That's yeah, maybe what's going on here. Yeah, but I mean, I say it's messy just because everything bleeds together, but like that's all part of the sound. It could be intentional mess, exactly. Yeah. Um, let's talk about a different kind of mess. Three in 1988. Yeah, looking up three, they're a progressive rock group. Yes. Um, from apparently the nineties. So it, no. It, oh wait. So Alex, there's two different groups called Three. Both claim to be prog rock. Oh this is the prog rock band formed by Keith Emerson, Carl Palmer, and Robert Berry in 1990. Oh, in 1988. I know I got screwed up by that too, but I knew it was former members of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Oh, in this so band. This so you Emerson, have Emerson and Palmer. Barry and Palmer. Yes. Wow. And that's funny because Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Yeah, also, I did look at the wrong band. You did look but, at the wrong one. So that makes a little more sense in what I'm hearing in this song. And what I'm hearing in this song is basically 80s, yes? Yes. So it sounds like it's like an owner of a lonely heart kind of era, yes? Right. That's what I'm hearing in this song. Yeah, kind of. So these With guys like a lot of synthesizers. One album. Now, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, are they... I always assume they were a similar vibe to Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Kind of folky rock. Uh, not really. No. Okay. No, they're like prog rock. They did so this like... Is just like different Brain prog salad rock. surgery and like that's them. And the hit song, I Believe in Father Christmas. Did they do Tarkus? Is Tarkus them? <laughs> I'm pretty sure... Yeah, they did Tarkus. So they have like... Yeah, I, I would not... I They sound like a folk rock trio. But they're not a folk rock trio. Okay. Even the song from the beginning, their most popular song, is pretty fucking folky, Alex. I don't know. Fair enough. And like Lucky Man. I guess that is too. I'm thinking of like Benny the Bouncer. Okay. You're thinking of deep cuts here because that's not... We're not even cracking... Oh, except Tarkus. You did mention Tarkus. I mentioned Tarkus. The, the one about an armadillo, right? Yeah, the one about a, like an armadillo tank thing. Yes. Tankadillo. Yeah, um, I guess in my mind, they, they aren't similar, but there's, yeah, I guess there are similarities. I think, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so that's why this, and I, I was just cursory in my examination of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, but this came up, and I was like, okay, so 
like Emerson Palmer fuck off so that they can just do music of the era. They were like, well, we just want to do big, dumb drums, big, dumb synth, and be in the 80s. They're like, the future is now, and we're going to get our cut of it. And so they released this version. Sure. That's my take anyhow. Um, and different lyrics on this one. Yeah, all of the lyrics are different. Yes. And I don't, but like similar. So like, it's almost like similar enough that it, it's like not different enough to be deliberate, but it has to be. Yeah. So those lines are. the whole thing. Eight miles high and when you touch down, no time can be stranger than now. Signs on the street. And where are we going? Out somewhere just to be alone. Um, nowhere yeah. near what can be found. Among us, we can't lose more ground. Time may tell, long though it sounds, these places, our faces abound. Maybe that's where I got the abound from. Out oh, in yeah. square, lives covered in stone, some laughing, most won't take stand. Sidewalk of dreams as far as one sees, some living, some standing alone. Yeah, so it seems like they're not changing it that much, right? Like, I, I can't get, like, a m- super meaningful difference. It's the kind of changing that, like, AI does when it steals articles <laughs> from the internet. And yeah. then you read it, you're like, well, now this doesn't make any sense. I didn't I didn't plagiarize this. I'm like, it's a cover. I mean, no one's calling it plagiarism. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, but, like, you don't have to change all the words. Yeah. Um. No, I think we lose a lot of lyrical punch here. Though I think the way he delivers it, and of course, in the style of the 80s, makes it feel like it means something. Yeah. I didn't know. I mean, you don't even notice the words are different at first because they're not that different. Yeah, and you still hit on, like, the word stranger is in there. Eight miles high and when you touch down is all there. Signs on the street is there. Going. Like, a yeah. lot of the words are there. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a, it was a weird, weird decision to just change that. Uh, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. It's not necessarily, like you said, though, not necessarily for better or worse when you're listening to it. Yeah, because it's for it different. Sounds yeah, it's for different. It's a lateral move. Yeah. Um. Big ass eighties drums. Yeah, big and, like and Tom big snare trade off thing. You know. Yeah. Um, and lots of like electronic sounds. <laughs> Um, something that might be a synthesizer but might be a harmonized guitar and then like yeah like that kind of fluty synth as well yeah that comes in on the verses another organ there's a the organ or synth that does the solo seems to have like a pitch wheel of some kind yeah bend the pitch this is like vocally it sounds like kind of like the final countdown they have a bit of that vibe on them maybe a bit of like alphaville's um forever Just, young they got all that echo on there yeah, all that echo and like yeah. that seriousness on it you're like this is an important song about getting high on planes yeah i mean it is it is an eight an 88 song in 88 like it is yeah and i mean 1988 yes 1988 yeah the year this song was released <laughs> <laughs> exactly <gasps> Um, yeah, so it's like, yeah, yeah, you're talking late 80s, like big stuff, late 80s, drenched in synth. I don't know what else to say about it. Those are all the sounds Um, it has. And yeah, those are the big sounds. Late 80s, um, uh, prog revival song, which is a little bit poppy for sure. It's yeah, poppy and it's pulling on elements of like almost video games. Uh, there's a new big 80s synth for the bridge I wrote. Ooh, where's that? Let me 
me I didn't time stamp it because I'm a Is criminal. It bam, 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 bam. Yeah, like around 155 there. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I wrote this was made for the Turtles in Time game. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> it does have that sound. Yeah. So like, it's kind of fun in that way, but it's like, not that unique, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, it raises it's the question of, of why. <laughs> yeah, why this song? <laughs> why like, this why, song? why are you going to change most of the lyrics? Why this way? Because, like, uh, Husker Du and Rock's really. Music checks out to me. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're doing this in your style. Whereas when Emerson and Palmer come to this, having said, we can't do Emerson, Lake, and Palmer anymore. We need, this, the time is right. The time is now for this. Yeah. Dramatic moves were made to make this album occur and this cover occur. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why this cover yeah. exists. Why did they pick this one? Maybe it was all Robert Barry's doing. Yeah, Greg Lake brought him back into shape at some... I think he came back. I don't know. But, yeah, Man. it does sound like it'd be great for an 80s beat-em-up game. Or, like, 90s beat-em-up game. Especially that synth, yeah. Yeah. But it's a strange one. Especially after, like, a lot of the stuff we've talked about already is, like, kind of ahead of its time. And this is just very much of its time. Yeah, very much stuck right in that time, like, to the day, probably. Yeah. So it's it's a change of pace and it's like it's it's fine. It's yeah, like it's not technically bad. No, yeah, it's not. It's hitting all its notes right. It's just like I don't know why they're there. Yeah, it's just a a, a strange one, but fun well, in its way st- for sure. Strip the lyrics and you can repurpose this for the the three video game where you play as Emerson, Palmer, and Barry. To save Greg Lake. <laughs> exactly. He's been kidnapped by ninjas. Hell yeah. Let's talk about Dave Cloud and the Gospel of Power in 1999. Yeah, Dave Cloud. We talked about him a couple months ago. Moon Age Daydream. From Moon Age Daydream. Uh, and this. Same album. T- same album. We talked about him and we described him and we read about him on Wikipedia and that song was kind of weird for what we read. This makes more sense in terms of the things it said about he's like this garage rock guy. Right. And likes to make noise and stuff. Right, yeah, in that sense that this is definitely more garage band, but in terms of like uh, some of the things he does even, like he uses similar tricks to get a different effect. Because yeah, the Moon Age Daydream one's a little more like bizarre, but he's still doing his weird low vocals and like he the is. lo-fi sound is still there. So very some of the lo-fi. elements are still very the same. Yeah, although if you remember in the Moon Age Daydream one, he didn't sing many of the actual lyrics. That's right. He kind of took freak the out, freak out, freak out, freak out, yeah. freak like out the whole time. That's right. So Whereas this, this is one is basically straight. just a really stripped down version. Yeah, almost like. 80s hard rock put through a lo-fi filter yeah i guess particularly at the start there yeah with the 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 way the guitar yeah like the tone on that is very much like is that yeah that era and uh the guitar itself like what it plays is very basic now i mean compared to the original it's really just playing like big chords right 
Yeah, it's like almost like a simplified version of the Husker Du. It's like, what if we slowed down Husker Du and just played the big chords? It is similar. Um, in like, there's a lot of distortion on the guitar, and there's it like really melds together. Mm-hmm. And this one's even like, I mean, I would call Husker Du on the lo-fi side in that they probably had low technology, but this one is like, just this is everything's just crushed. Yeah, completely like recorded on a together. tape deck. Yeah. And then, like, stomped on and then recorded onto another tape deck. (laughs) (laughs) Take it from one to the next. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Because, like, even those drums, like, they are, they sound like a sample of a drum put on loop and, like, yeah, like, played across three different cassettes. Yeah, they could definitely be electronic. I'm not clear on if they are, but they are quite fast as well. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if he he just stole a segment off of some song he heard and just, like, Looped that and looped it because it's about like five seconds of looped drum. Yeah, let's <laughs> even that like two seconds. Yeah, and just over and over again. Um, he does it. The verses, like you said, he's got his like low voice and like <laughs> that really adds to like the drone. Yeah, sound. Um, so I, I do think that's a cool sound that he gets when mm-hmm. he sings that way. Particularly on this song, which has, you know, some some history with drones. Yeah. Because they fly eight miles high. Uh, no, they don't. <laughs> Probably some freaks. Maybe they um, Yeah, there's like a... You go to like 209. I will. There's this uh, like synth solo. Yeah. Sounds a bit like Legend of Zelda, maybe Link to the Past, maybe Ocarina of Time, but like that kind of soundboard we're working with. Like the actual sound itself. The actual sound itself. Yeah, it's kind of stringy. Yeah. But but then well, you like, get it very like fake super. String. Yeah, because you put it through all this lo-fi stuff, mm-hmm. and maybe it's not very good to start with. But yeah. And that's kind of the outro too, because like he does the three verses. Yeah. Uh, and then they do that instrumental bit, um, with that synth, and then like that's pretty much it. Yeah. It does almost sound like, like a slapped together. Like, we've talked about how the drums sound like a, a very small, quick sample. The guitar sounds like it's from 1985. Uh, and the the synth sounds like it's jacked from somebody just playing Ocarina of Time in the background. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a very patchwork song. And I one that sounds cool to me in terms of production. I don't know if this version really hit for me in terms of its its final result. Yeah, it was hard not to compare it to Husker Du. Yeah. Who I think do it a little more successfully. Who Husker do it better. But this guy <laughs> definitely like is really focusing on the like, let's do a lo-fi, let's get a bunch of reverb on this guitar, let's yeah. make everything sound very um low fidelity, uh, to say the same thing without saying the same thing. Um nice. and uh just crank down crank down that phi, man. Yeah, crank down that fine. You're right. Also playing in the lower end, especially vocally, which is yeah. its own neat move. To make everything nice and muddy. Yeah. Um, he feels nice and garage rocky on this. He feels yeah. like if you owned a cassette of his in, in 1999, like you were, you were somebody cool. <laughs> yeah. And you probably had mutton chops just like him. Probably. He's got some big old chops. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know who's got guitar playing chops? It's Chris Hillman and Herb Peterson in 2010. Peterson. And when you touch them, you'll find that it's 
Yeah, I was. I mean, I saw these names and I was like, whatever, it's just two guys. We see this all the time. Yeah. But these guys have like pedigree. Not pedigree, because yeah. that has to do with. Is it with, pedigree? Uh, with Is that more breeding? to do with your heritage? Yeah, what's like usually, I think, for show dogs. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so these guys have nature. pedigree kibble. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you can these tell guys they got have clean hair. done a lot of work, is what I'm trying to say. Well, yeah, Chris Hillman, the original bassist for The Birds. Yeah, he was in The Birds. He played on the original recording. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, he was. Yeah, um, and then the Pierce other guy is who wasn't musician. isn't part of the like squabble about who wrote the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I don't know, I played bass. <laughs> I just played bass, man. I think it's pretty cool. You get to hear it right at the start. Yeah, um, I like how clear the bass is on it, so you know I worked here. Yeah, Hell also yeah, Chris a founding Hillman. member of the Flying Burrito Brothers. Oh, yeah. Big name. Um, Don't know a single song by him, but no, yeah, big but name. No, but they keep coming up. <laughs> hey. Like, this guy was with the Flying Burrito Brothers for a while. Um... Uh, and of and the Desert Rose Band, which is important because that's where he met Herb Peterson, or that's where okay. he first worked with Herb Peterson. That's where these guys cross over. Herb Peterson, yeah. of course, worked with like a thousand people. Oh yeah, he like they've both been playing for decades. They both played on a ton of recordings for a ton of different artists. Yeah, some highlights um, for yeah, they've Peterson been around. John Fogarty, um, Earl Scruggs. I'm just gonna pick out names I know, which might yeah. just be too. Linda Ronstadt, uh, Chris Christopherson, John Prine, Jackson Brown, John Denver. Uh, Amy Lou Harris is one I recognize there, and like yep. fucking twenty other more names here. Uh, yeah, I don't like recognize. those are some big names. Mm-hmm. So you know these guys, yeah, they've got they've 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 worked. They worked, and so you're asking yourself, okay, this guy's a big country musician. What do we expect? A country version? Yeah, absolutely. What if Eight Miles High was Yeehaw? This is it. <laughs> yeah, country kind of. I guess. I mean, here, Chris Hillman's playing um, a mandolin. Yes. So that makes it officially bluegrass. No, not really. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's like that end of, of the country spect- spectrum. Yeah, that, like, touching on folk, but still definitely country. Yeah. For sure. Um, and, yeah, they do. I mean, I feel like he has maybe a bit more uh, reverence for the song, because they play it pretty straight. Yes. Um, but... They move it into a pretty good sound. They're obviously very skilled players, and they mm-hmm. have pretty nice harmonies as well. Oh, yeah. Um, the big thing about this, is, I would say, is like it's fine, but it mostly takes out the interesting parts. Yeah, well, it countrifies it, which is... Yeah, <laughs> so like they don't do the weird stuff, which no. is true of several of these versions as well. For sure. Um. But I just kind of know. But they do it have a here. high level of technical skill. So yeah, you lose uh, yeah. like like tone and mystery, but you get some pretty yeah. solid but string yeah, work here. Not not a bad version by mm-hmm. by any stretch. Um, and there's the violin solo. Yeah. Oh, and this is live, so just like recording quality on this, pretty strong. Yeah, pretty solid. I think I is it the same. Because I saw a video of them performing it, I didn't check. If I they didn't were watch the, same. the video, but I imagine they might be the same. Yeah. But yeah, solid harmonies. It's yeah, it's it's pretty much a solid take. The weird thing here is when the guitar moves in for the solo and the violin just starts doing Billy Jean. <laughs> I totally missed that part. Where is it? <laughs> um, you go around like two oh nine. Okay. It's just dun, 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 dun. And the rhythm dun, guitar is doing dun, it too. Dun, dun, dun. Boom. 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 I said I'm a hot amble bell a ding. It's called a scene. 
So you get that in there. That's <laughs> yeah, and I mean they they sound good together. Like I said, solid harmonies. I do like the sound of guitar and mandolin together. Oh yeah. I won't pretend like I don't, because that would be a lie. For sure, there's something about being born and raised in Alberta. I think that I'm just attuned yeah. to to country instruments, like, even if I'm like not typically a fan of the genre. A little bit <laughs> sympathetic to to country sounds. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, Ian Tyson's from here. <laughs> I have no heard? fucking clue who that Ian is. Ian Tyson? Tyson? Ian Tyson. Uh, Ian and Sylvia? Ian Sylvia. Oh, uh, we talked We talked about Ian Sylvia before. Okay. Uh, like a while ago. Uh, the song Four Strong Winds. He wrote that. Four Strong Winds. Four Strong Winds. Does it sound like that or something? That's just a guess. I don't even know the song. I just know it's, it's well regarded in terms <laughs> okay. of like output from <laughs> Alberta. Uh, from Alberta, yeah, because we got him and we got Nickelback. Yeah. The Krugs. Well, Joni Mitchell. Oh, we got Joni Mitchell, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure from rural Alberta. And I mean, we were just walking through Seattle the other Memphis, day. Memphis, yeah. And someone was playing some Loverboy, and I was like, that's from my hometown. <laughs> from my hometown. Yeah, fuck yeah. Loverboy. playing baseball and listening to 80s music. <sighs> the American dream. Yeah. Um, let's talk about a Canadian band, though. Speaking of Canadian bands. Yeah. Sky Diggers in 2016. And when you touch down, you'll find that it's stranger than known. We talked about these guys before. It's rock. It's rock. Uh, have we? If we haven't, their name has come up on like a list of covers, and I've removed them. Okay, but I feel I like we might have talked about it before. Remember? Them. Not surprising, Alex. Uh but. I imagine if they did come on before, I thought they were pretty boring. And I'll tell you this, hasn't changed since. Yeah, it's not the most interesting version, is it? They really, I mean, it's stripped down. Yeah, take Chris Hillman's uh, version, remove nuance, add in female vocals. Yeah, that part's kind of cool, what they do I do the like the harmonies. vocal work on not this, Not that I much. Think, yeah. The harmonies sound nice, because uh, there's male vocalist, female vocalist. They sing, um, and they kind of swap places because, like, well, there's you know lead and harmony, and they just do the opposite. Yeah, for the back and then they double, and then they swap. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty um, classically that. It's meant to have a more serious, heavy tone to it because we got just the guitar arpeggio. Yes, is it pretty much? Pretty much, and then eventually a synth comes in. Yes, there's a synth later on. I was just expecting like just that finger pick guitar. Uh, we get the synth later mm-hmm. on, kind of flute, fluty synth. Um, the difference with this one and the other ones, I mean, it's more obvious that there's like harmonies happening because yes. they're not as like the other ones are very close harmonies, whereas this one doesn't do that. Um, which is just different style. Um, is there anything else to say about this one? It's Canadian I would say roots rock. It's Canadian roots rock. <laughs> What they seem to be doing, what I would guess that they're doing, is like mm-hmm. really trying to focus on like the isolation feeling. Yeah. Um, which is fine, but I feel like the way they did that is just not that not that interesting. Not that interesting. When you think, yeah, when you think about the original and how it captures that vibe, both lyrically and with these like thundering drums and this strange guitar, 
Like you have yeah, to bring because it's not just isolation. In. There's like there's like a a scene set up, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is really just focusing on that one part of it. Yeah, and using like cheap tricks to do it. It's like, well, here's this trick we know. Faraway sounding synth, guitar arpeggio, <laughs> sad vocals. It's like, well, we've done this for a thousand songs. This yeah, doesn't feel like a trip to a strange land. I don't believe you were on a plane that was eight miles high. I believe the birds when they say their plane went a mile higher than usual. <laughs> we don't know what this commercial pilot was doing. You flew even higher. Still made it to London. But these guys, it's just like, okay, I believe that you listened to a bird's album once, maybe. Yeah. had some good material there it's yeah it's about selling the song and this doesn't sell it this just sells that they know some some standard musical tricks yeah it feels very standard which is fine and good but you know when you're bringing the heat when you're coming to cover but you know a what song, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a snob and uh this doesn't do it for me yeah sorry not up to snuff guys we're disowning you shipping you off to the states yeah, you have to go like a few kilometers south because they're from Toronto. So yeah, like, no, it's not that far. Be an easy trip. <laughs> but it's time for us to get into our final verdicts. We've got three categories today. The worst version, the best version, and the version that you would listen to to set the mood if you found yourself on psychedelics and on a plane simultaneously. Yeah. Of your own accord. You haven't been drugged. You, been drugged. You've, you've made you the suddenly cautious. find yourself on a plane and on psychedelics. <laughs> yeah, panic. I'm going to not worry about what cover version to choose and more worry about panicking. You're the first person on the plane to ask for vegetable juice in a long time. And it turns out someone spiked it like years ago. <laughs> years ago. They're like, we got this old V8 back here. You're like, oh, damn. <laughs> Alex, what's the worst version of this? Sky Diggers, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, for me. I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of 3. Yeah, 3 was... <laughs> but, like, I don't know. It was fine. Um, yeah, Sky it, Diggers it, is just, like, the boring one. Oh, yeah, 3 is like misguided, really. yeah. yeah. Sky Diggers is boring and misguided, whereas 3 is misguided but comes at it with everything it's got. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it kind of reminds me of some Yes songs that I like. Yeah. So that's something. So that's something. Yeah, I don't think Skydiggers hit it here. And I mean, there's it's even some pretty simple covers that could have toppled here. Like, it's not like Dave Cloud is winning any medals, but... Yeah. yeah I think he still, still puts together something more. Alex, what's the best version of this? I'm... Hmm. I'm probably going to throw it to Husker Du. Mm. I think I think they did a pretty solid version that you can i don't know i don't know what i would do with this version but i'm just like comparing it to all the other ones i'm like i think i enjoyed it the most yeah i think i really like something about the screaming vocals yeah and like sometimes sometimes i'm into that not always but right now it's working yeah it's working for me on this track um i will shout i think the roxy music one's pretty cool too it's kind of like that bass groove but uh alex Psychedelics on a plane. Where are you? You're on the plane, but what are you I'm listening on the plane. to? <laughs> what am I listening to? Honestly, I think I'm on a plane and I'm having an experience kind of inside my head. Mm-hmm. I think it's got to be Roxy Music because then I can like move a bit. I don't know. Something about it. Right. There's something, the one that something to carry. There's a bit of a driving rhythm, something to focus on. Yeah. And like you can have a kind of a party. Hell yeah. Uh, um, with that one. Good choice, Hawks. I'm going with Dave Cloud and the Gospel of Power because I, I want to have a bad time on this plane, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to feel very claustrophobic. 
Oh, yeah, just be like, can I get off the plane? Can I get off the plane? <laughs> How far is this plane go? Restrained. <laughs> Where are we going? That's a question. Where, I guess to London. It's got to be to London, Oh, yeah, UK, that's, a, that's quite a flight. I haven't been on a flight longer than like an hour and a half in years. Oh. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> flights, they're long, brother. Yeah. But that does it for our final verdicts. If you got a similar opinion, different opinion, want to talk to us about a version we didn't talk about, hit us up on Twitter, hashtag CoverMePod, at JakeTheCrassy, at some Alex Wise. Guys, send us your comments, questions, concerns, suggestions for future episodes. You can also do that to us via email. Do that to us. You can also do, do that. <laughs> do it to me, baby. Um, via email. You know the email. CoverMePod at gmail.com. Talk to us there. Be sure to rate and review us We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, your favorite podcasting app. Anywhere podcasts are sold, we're there being sold to you. So rate and review us there. Tell your friends about us. Tell your neighbors. Tell your enemies. Tell strange people in strange places. Take a flight to London, UK, and try to tell the people there about us. UK! UK! Yeah, go to every place listed in uh, the Dancing in the Streets intro by David Bowie and, and Mick Jagger and tell people there. Uh, but that does it, folks, for today's episode of Cover Me. And as we always say on Cover Me, nowhere is there Cover Me to be found.